2 Timothy chapter 4. And uh, I'm not going to tell you how far we're going to go into it. I, I have some ideas, but uh, I remember once before I had a plan, and then Jesus had a different plan, and he overrode mine. So that could happen tonight, so I'm not going to say anything. So anyways, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 1, and we'll go from there. Father, we're just so thankful for another opportunity to, to come in and just to, uh, uh, just to explore your word, Father, to uh, encourage and be encouraged by one another. And I thank you for my sisters and brothers coming out and those who are tuned in. And uh, I just pray that your word will be rightly divided, Father. I know that in and of myself, I can do nothing. I can be nothing. But with you, all things are possible. So I do thank you for that. I thank you uh, for what you've done already. I thank you for what you're doing right now. And I thank you what you're going to do in the future. So, Father, have your way in this place. Uh, may uh, the eyes, ears, and hearts of everyone within the sound of this voice be open to know your word, to hear your word, and what you're, you're going to use this vessel to share tonight. May you receive the glory in all that we do and say. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As I was uh, preparing this last week, uh, even today, this morning, um, I won't say it was profound. Uh, it was the Lord because, as we know, those of us who are familiar with uh, First and Second Timothy and other verses as well, Titus, perhaps, knowing that how important it is to have disciples and how discouraging if we allow it can be today because we can see where uh, there are others in our churches outside of our churches perhaps that are moving forward without the benefit of having disciples they're not discipling to others and so what happens is we're well aware that there's a, a generation that's been lost who doesn't know the word of Jesus Christ and so as a result of the, the preachers, the teachers, the ministers not bringing along disciples, we're, we're at a place where we could possibly create another generation that doesn't know the Lord. And we need to train them up. We need to bring along younger people. We need to bring along others beside us so that the work can go on. Uh, and uh, God has made us aware that at some point we're all going to, come home. And when we go home, God would like for us to have someone prepared to step in and take, take the reins, if you will. And as I was listening to, as we were listening to the message this morning, talking about disciples and, and how important it is to have them, uh, we were just thinking about our world today and how the, the uh, word of God has been watered down. We're going to talk about that as we get into these passages but how some of the churches, how they've allowed the people, the congregation to dictate what they teach, what they preach, rather than the word of God that decides that. And that's a shame. It really is. So we can't look at them. We shouldn't look at them and say, well, shame on them. God gave us an opportunity to share his word. He gives us an opportunity to go out into all the world. So we can't point the finger at them. And say, you know, they're missing it because our duty, our obligation, our commitment is to go into all the world. And there's no one among us who's exempt from that. He didn't specify. And that's what he wants us to do. And to, in order to go out, we need to know his word. We need to understand his word. We need to be able to dissect that word so uh, when we're asked questions like, you know, even yesterday, uh, someone that I consider a seasoned veteran of the Word of God asked, I heard you say agape love. What is that? And I, I, I was stunned, to say the least, because I keep saying, Richard, the Lord says he's not a respecter of persons, so you've got to make sure you understand. Well, he goes to church. He's got to know that. No, he doesn't. Well, she goes to church, she's got to know, understand what, what agape love is. No, she doesn't. 
It's our responsibility. And we're going to talk about that as we go in into this tonight, because with Paul, Paul took Timothy and, and all the others that were with him back to basics. And that's what we need to do. And we've, I've, I've learned this. Well, I'm learning. I'm learning to not assume anything. Not assume. And to, to be in a Bible study with people from the, from the fellowship, from the, from the body. And you say, okay, let's turn to Luke. And they go to the table of contents. And we can't judge and we can't criticize that. But my perception is that if you're studying the word, you're going to know where Luke is. If you're studying the word, when we say, hey, let's go to Psalms, boom, we're there. You don't have to go to the table of contents, page 1063. You shouldn't. But it happens. And these are the things that I'm learning weekly. And it breaks my heart. Because I keep saying, I'm not a respecter of persons. I'm not a respecter of persons. And the Lord says, Richard, you're a respecter of persons. You're a respecter of persons because you're making assumptions. How can someone sit there week after week and not know, maybe not know the word, but have some idea where that book is? How can someone sit here week after week and not understand, maybe not totally understanding, fully understanding, but what do you mean, what's this agape love you talk about? And how do, you, how do you dig into the word of God and not get any idea about that? And to me, these are basic questions. But it's not about me. It's about the Lord just convicting my heart to go back to basics. Be, you know, go back to Genesis if you have to. And so that's where my heart is. And again, tonight my heart is discipleship. And... In this particular uh, passage, Paul is talking about that, and, and we'll see that Paul is getting near the end. And we'll see some of the people that stood with him and some of them that ran away. And we'll talk about some of the men who hadn't counted the cost of making a commitment to Jesus Christ. I'm learning that as well. I'm learning that as well because... Um, even recently, there were some things that occurred, some people that we were ministering to, and it, it really breaks your heart when you have to hear about things that are going on in their family that don't edify the Lord. And one of those we'll definitely talk about, but let's, let's dig in for a little bit. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. The idea is to issue strong, uh, the idea of charge is to issue strong uh, order or directive. And we can't be afraid or hesitant to do that. And we have to, we can encourage our, our brothers and our sisters by having a strong stance on the word of God. Because we can be weak, we can be lukewarm about it. And so what we're doing, we're teaching weakness and lukewarmness. We've got to be strong. It's got to be a strong directive. And it's not because of what we feel, what we think is what God's word says. It says, Char I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead. And here is God is, is about to be issued as the judge, the one and only judge. And everyone who ministers the word of God is under the omniscient scrutiny of Christ. You have an obligation. We have an obligation. If you're going to teach that word, you better make sure that it's rightly divided. You are being judged by the one and only judge, Jesus the Christ. So we have to know that we know that we know. That what we're saying, that what we're teaching, that what we're preaching, that what we're shouting out is the word of God. There's no compromise. There is no shortcut. There is no altering the word for the sake of the world. There is no altering the word for non-believers. His word is true and true and true in that order. Paul is emphasizing the unique uh, accountability that all believers, and especially ministers of the word of God, have to have uh, to we have to account we have accountability to Christ 
Well, I used to teach it this way, and then I lost a lot of members. So I, I watered it down so they wouldn't, they wouldn't run away. No, no, that, that's not what he's calling us to do. And, and here I got this, uh, the title that I, once I got this done, it said, Teach the Word No Matter What. And that's the heart that we have to have. We have to be. We have to teach that word. We can't water it down. Uh, we shouldn't water it down. Because now we're teaching a gospel that doesn't line up with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, don't, don't add or take away anything. And that's the attitude that we must have. Uh, Christ will one day appraise the works of every person in three settings. The first setting is the judgment of believers after the rapture. The second setting is a sheep and goats judgment of the, of the nations in which believers will be separated from unbelievers. The third is uh, uh, when uh, the great white throne judgment of unbelievers, which is unbelievers only, Paul is referring to judgment in a general sense, encompassing all those elements. So he's, he's considering all of those, those three when, he's talk, when Paul's speaking here. But there are going to be different sections, different times that we're going to be judged. The judgment of the believers after the rapture, the sheep and goats judgment of the nations in which believers will be separated from the unbelievers for the entrance into the millennium kingdom, and the great white throne judgment of believers only. Those are going to be the three times that there's going to be judgment. And in here, and Paul uh, said, the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. And Paul is referring to Christ's second coming when he will judge the living and the dead and establish his millennial and eternal kingdom. And there's, there's, no, there's no options. There are no other options to that, folks. That's it. Well, Maybe uh, I was in another religious system, and they, they got a thing called purgatory. Hogwash. No, I, you, you, can't, you won't be able to find that in a true Bible. You won't be able to find it. Verse 2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. And this refers to the entire written word of God, his complete revealed truth as contained in the Bible. We don't have to make it up. We don't have to have them argue with us or debate with us about what the word of God says is here. So those times that we've spent, I'm going to encourage each and every one of us, don't do it. It's vain. Uh, and again, this is a lesson that some of us had to learn. It took a while, but we did. There's no point in debating God's word. It says it right here. This is what the word of God says. So why would I stand there and debate it with anyone? But it took a while to get there, as I said. So I'm going to encourage you. Don't get lulled into that, my friends. Don't get lulled into anybody who, well, I don't think that's what it means. Okay, you're entitled to your opinion you have a good night. And that's what we need to do. And be ready in this context. Be ready in season and out of season. And it, it refers to suddenness, forcefulness, urgency, preparedness, and readiness. And this was used as a soldier prepared to go into battle or a guard who was continuously alert for any surprise attack. This attitude is imperative, imperative for a faithful preacher. Be ready. Be ready when, when, uh, when this question was asked, what is agape love? Well, geez, I'm not sure. I, I'll look it up and get back to you. Maybe if they were talking to a non-believer or immature Christian, that's one thing. But as a mature Christian, and, I, and I'm going to say everybody in this room, that's what I consider you. I'm judging, but that's okay. Get over it. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where we need to be aware of what the Word of God says. And there's only one way that we can know what the Word of God says. Read his Word. Study his Word. Dissect it. Uh, gnaw on it. Whatever we got to do, but that's the only way. And be ready, especially when our younger people, 
And I don't want to put all the emphasis on that, but it's, it's important. It's important for the, us to have the word in season and out of season. Well, I'm not sure what he means by this, so I'll get back to you. There are going to be times when that's going to happen. You know, I don't personally know any Bible scholars, you know, but it's just that we need to be ready. We need to be ready. And you're going to get those kind of questions. You're going to say, well, that's pretty basic. You know, when, when, when God says, Adam, where are you? You mean he lost track of him? He didn't really know where he was? Well, I don't think that's what that means, bro. You know, or, you know, just things like that. And, and, and we need to be aware. The faithful preacher must proclaim the word when it is popular and, uh, when it is popular and convenient and when it is not. It's not going to always be popular. You will find that as a, a minister of the word, uh, it's not a popularity contest. And sometimes we have to say things that maybe ruffle people a little bit, but that's okay. We're, we're not necessarily here to be liked. We would like to be liked, but if it's a matter of compromising the word to be liked, then the word is going to come true. The word is going to be, I'm going to speak truth in love. We're going to speak truth in love. That's it. So we're not here to be popular. We're here to proclaim the word of God. And, and as God works in us, we'll know that no matter what's happening around us, we've got to keep that word true. We've got to keep that love present. We must do that. We can't compromise the word of God. You can't compromise the word of God. And when I say can't, you know, it's not a word I like because it means impossible, but you know, I prefer to say you shouldn't, but you know that. You don't compromise the word of God. I, you know, I had, as an example, I had an opportunity to talk with a gentleman who was saying that one of the reasons that he, this is a true, this is a true story, he didn't like this church is because we, we talk about sin. And he's got a church that he goes to that's growing in leaps and bounds, and they don't do that. He goes over there with his girlfriend of 10 years, and he can sit on the front row and cuddle. Nobody says anything. But he comes here, and it's like, whoa, wait a minute, bro. No, this, is, this is out of order here. And so, you know, he was uh, boasting about the fact that the church that I go to is growing leaps and bounds. So I said, you know what? I think God would prefer holy over huge. He didn't like that. And that's an example. You gotta be honest. You gotta tell the word. You gotta, you gotta be true. It's gotta be truth and love. And that was truth, and it wasn't love. He didn't take it as such. Because I like to think that I can be comfortable no matter where I go. If I go to a church and they're preaching a sin, a, a level of sin, then I don't go anymore. And that's the place I wanna go to. Because there have been times when I've sat here and said, Brother, you're talking to me? You know, because it just seemed like, how did he know that I was involved in that level of sin? He, the Lord knows. So the Lord tapered the message, so, and he had you here, so you would hear that. And this man doesn't want to hear that. And he put emphasis on the fact that the church is growing in leaps and bounds. And he also boasted about the fact that they want to draw the kids in, so they got a lot of video games in the basement. And he's saying these things that they're, they're good things. He's saying it as it's possible. You guys, you guys need to go there and get some lessons on how to make your church grow. And I repeat it. God doesn't care about huge. He cares about holy. And he had nothing more to say. And, uh, Richard's not buying this, this garbage that I'm throwing at him, so what a waste. And so, okay, if, if you choose not to come here, then so be it. But again, I, I wasn't trying to put him down at all. It's just that I've learned, I am learning that i got to be true to God's word, no matter what. You know, if it's a time when it's popularity or the truth, I'll choose truth every time. That's just how I roll. Uh, popular culture, tradition, reputation, acceptance, or esteem, esteem is a, in the community or in the church must never dictate the true preacher's commitment to proclaim God's word. Never. 
Never. None of those things should, should cause us. Well, you know, uh, the, the, the preachers that are more popular stay away from talking about sin. They talk about prosperity. They talk about how you're going to be blessed if you do certain things. That's what they talk about. So some of the people like that. And in this text is called itching ears. And we must never, ever uh, allow these things to uh, alter our commitment to, the, to proclaim God's word. Uh, in this text, convince and rebuke can be the negative side of preaching the word. Convince, convince uh, refers to correcting behavior. That's a challenge. And that's an example of what I talked about earlier. It's okay. You know, I've been, I've been, we've been boyfriend and girlfriend for 10 years, and hey, the world accepts it. But we don't allow the world to dictate what goes on here. This is the church. A different heart, a different mind, a different attitude. God has told us what is holy and what isn't, and he's taught us the difference. He's given, given us wisdom and discernment to know that that's not itself. That's not the right thing. Uh, it's uh, convinced refers to cor- uh, correcting behavior or false doctrine by using careful biblical argument. And don't get stumbled by that phrase, careful biblical argument. And I said, well, don't get into arguments. But it's a matter of how your presentation, how you present it. It doesn't have to be presented in an argumentative form. It's just stating the truth. And point out the fact that this is not what I think. This is not what I say. This is what God says. Show them um, and uh, help them to understand the error of, of their ways or their actions. Help them. That's what we're required to do. Help them. Don't criticize them. Just help them. How can you help me by ministering the word to me to, to be more rightly, to be more godly? And it's a decision that they have to make, and sometimes we get discouraged, especially with family members. We've been preaching and teaching for 19 months. Nothing's changed. I'm done with them. What if that were the case with us? A lot of us, we think of grandma. Grandma continue to pray for us. Granddaddy, maybe not so much, but grandma continue to pray for us and, and just until the Lord ushered us into the kingdom. And we're thankful. And even now, as we sit here tonight, there is someone praying for us. For us here and the ones there. There's someone praying for us. And there there are people who have the heart to pray without ceasing. And I'm thankful for that. and And we can just pick up that mantle and keep it going. Pray without ceasing. A rebuke deals with correcting the person's the persons uh, by uh, convincing the person of their sin and leading him or her to repentance. That's the idea. Rebuke. Correcting them. And a lot of times it's very difficult to do that because there's nothing wrong with them. I'm just living, enjoying my life. And the things that I'm doing are acceptable. By whom? Does this line up with the, with the heart of God? Well, no but. No, there's no no but. It does or it doesn't. Does it line up with the word of God? Exhort is a positive side of preaching the doctrine and instruction, and that's, we like that better because we're more comfortable with that. That's more acceptable by non-believers are those, as we're going to talk about later with Paul, those that are lukewarm. Verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And to not endure means to hold up under scrutiny or tolerate. Now, when we talk about the fruit of the spirit, he offers us something that will allows us to deal with this. There are difficult things for us. Patience. Ooh, sounds good. Long-suffering. Doesn't sound good. Uh, Joy. 
yeah, I understand those. I, I know those are good things, but I, I can't do it. I just don't have the propensity to allow myself to contain those things. Uh, this is just my personality. Now, aren't you the same guy that told me you're a new creature? Well, yeah, but that doesn't mean I, I have to change totally. New creature. 180. Doesn't that take on any meaning? But, well, I, I got to maintain some of my personality. I can't just give up everything. Why not? Well, you know, I'm going to lose my friends. Don't be concerned about your friends, Job. You know, just, just continue to, to be, what, be what the Lord calls you to be. And here, Paul warns Timothy that in the dangerous season of this age, many people will become intolerant of the confrontative, demanding preaching of God's word. Well, you've got to change. This is a new day. This is not like it was back in Jesus' time. You've got to change your message. You've got to be all-inclusive. You've got to include even those that God says are abomination. You're, you're farsighted, oh, not farsighted, you're narrow-minded, whatever, and, and that's it. So it's okay for us not to accept you, but it's not okay for you not to accept us. Wait a minute, who thought that up? That, that doesn't seem right somehow. So it's just one way. So who's uh, narrow-minded now? You want me to accept you, but you don't accept me. And we are at fault. And I can tell you one thing that happened a while ago. When we used to say, Merry Christmas. And then the world around us convinced us that it would, be, it would be a lot more politically correct if you just had happy holidays. Because you don't want to offend anybody, people who don't believe in Christmas. That's where we compromised. One of the, com- one of the compromises that we made. Well, brother, that's not a big deal. It's a huge deal. Huge deal. And, and well, well, it's probably going to stop there. No, you know what's going to happen now? They're going to say, you can't use pronouns. That doesn't make any sense. Neither does not being able to say Merry Christmas, but we allowed it. How many of us now don't say Merry Christmas anymore? Happy holidays, because the the environment around us has dictated that we don't want to offend anyone. What that means is we're okay being offended, but we don't want to be the offender. So my point is, it's those little things, those little compromises that we make that cause us to accept those larger compromises. And that's just one of them. You know, and we could go on and on and on, but this really isn't about any of that. This is about what God is doing here and now. And professing, professing Christians, lukewarm believers in the church, follow their own desires and flock to preachers who offer them God's blessings apart from his forgiveness and his salvation apart from their repentance. Well, I, I proclaim to be a Christian, so God's, I'm, my ticket is punched. I'm going in, so God's going to forgive me, so it's okay if I continue to live this way. No, it's not. We know that, and we have to say that to them. It is not acceptable. You must repent. You must. And again, not an option. And that's what we teach well, God's going to bless you, my sister. God's going to bless you, my brother. In spite of the way they're living, do we dare mention the word repentance? What am I going to repent from? There's nothing I do that's really wrong. I go to church. I know three scriptures. I read my Bible, and I pray at every meal. I'm good. I'm good. No. Not at all. You're not good. Not at all. They have an itch or desire to be entertained by teachings that will produce pleasant sensations and leave them with good feelings about themselves. My word for that, folks, spiritual pep rally. 
You know, for those of us who play sports, you know, we, we enjoyed going there and, and, and being involved in the pet rally, rah, rah, rah. It, it just it, it got the blood pumping. It gave you a good feeling. Now you're pumped up. Okay, now the game's over. What do you got? What are you taking home? Unless your team won. What are you taking home? And that's what it is. That's what this is. That's what some of the preachers are doing even as we speak. Spiritual pet rally. And they want to feel good about themselves. And that's what the preachers and the teachers give them. I want you to feel good about yourself. So this is what I'm going to teach. I'm going to teach you that as long as you continue to come here, occupy these seats, God is going to bless you. Without even knowing what you're dealing with. Without even knowing that there's a sin that's keeping you from committing yourself to Christ. These are the things that we need to dig into. And we're not going to know everybody's business. We don't have to know everybody's business. But we need to know when our sisters and brothers are hurting. We can't do it by ourselves. You know, well, the leadership should know. No. No, we can't know everything. We need you. We need all of us. It's a body. Body. Every part has a function. We have a limited number of eyes, but in and of ourselves, we got plenty of eyes. You know, you see a sister or brother hurting, encourage him. And it doesn't mean that you've got to give a flowery prayer. It doesn't mean that. And with some people, there's some people who live alone and they get no recognition during the course of a week. So they come here Sunday, so they're glad when somebody even says good morning. Once upon a time, they used to be glad when someone hugged them. Some people are not too crazy about that today. But these are the kind of things that we have to be aware of. We need to encourage one another. It doesn't have to be anything earth-shattering. Just a good morning and a God bless you. How are you doing? And sometimes you regret saying that, but that's, that's different. Uh, one of the dangers we face is when men dictate what we preach rather than God dictating it by his word. And that's what we'll do. We'll say, okay, this crowd, hmm, I probably shouldn't talk about fornication. This probably wouldn't be a good crowd to talk about it. Yeah, this would be a great crowd to talk about it. Because if anyone's involved in that, we want them to be convicted. We want them to come to you and say, you know, I'm, I'm involved in this area of sin. What must I do to be saved? We want that. We encourage that. So let's do that. Let's be about our father's business, ladies and gentlemen. Verse 4. Um, and they would turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside by fables. Fables are false ideologies. Uh, their viewpoints and philosophies in various forms that oppose sound doctrine. That's what fables, fables are. Fables are opposed to the word of God. And we don't want to get caught up into that, caught up in that. We want to be able to preach the word in nothing but the word, so help us God. That's what we want to be. Verse 5 but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of the evangelists, fulfill your ministry. Evangelists. That word has been really, really, really taken out of proportion. What does this say about the word? The word evangelist always referred to a specific order of ministry for the purpose of preaching the gospel to non-Christians. So an evangelist does. Every Christian must proclaim the gospel. Paul did not call Timothy to the office of an evangelist, but to do the work of one. And that's what we do. You don't have to be, you don't have to have a badge issued by the church to go out. Well, I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not a, a leader in the church, so I probably should not. You should not if you don't know the word of God. But if you know the word of God, you made a commitment when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you made a commitment to go out into all the world. 
You did. You did, and, and you probably didn't read that part when you signed, but it's right at the bottom on the right-hand side. It says that. So go back in that contract that you signed for honoring the Lord. It's on there, folks. You, you, you were eager to sign up so that you would, be, you would receive salvation. So it's like, yeah, I trust him. I won't read it. It's in there. Read it, folks. Uh, verse 6, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. Verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Verse 8, finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the, the uh, righteous judge, will give to uh, me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who has loved his appearing. At this point, Paul is nearing the end of his life, and he's able to look back uh, without regret or remorse, and I pray that we can feel the same way. And we don't know. We don't know how long before the Lord comes back. So how do we know we're nearing it? So we need to treat today as that day. You know, I, I, he may be coming back uh, tomorrow, so I probably should go out and be about his business. And as Paul was looking back, he examined his life for, from three perspectives. The first one is a present reality of the end of his life for which he was ready. Paul was ready. And he said, you know, I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. He was ready. The second part is the past as to which he had been faithful. Are you faithful to what God's called you to today? Well, I'm not quite sure what the Lord has called me to. Read his word. He'll tell you. And it'll be very clear. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you what the Lord has set aside for you. It'll be very clear. And the third one is the future as he anticipated his heavenly reward. And here Paul is anticipating his heavenly reward as we should. And not in a boastful way, you know, thinking that we've earned so many crowns or even a crown. But just the fact that we've been faithful. We've been faithful to his word. Paul knew that he was at death's door. This drink offering was a final offering that followed the burnt offering and grain offering, which was traditional in Israel. The drink offering followed the grain offering and the uh, uh, burnt offerings. Paul saw his coming death as his final offering to God in life that he had already been full of sacrifices for God. Paul made a lot of sacrifices. As a minister of the word, you make sacrifices. And we can't compare them what Paul went through. But as a minister of God's word, you are going to make sacrifices. You know, in, in some of the things, uh, we shouldn't even classify sacrifices, but even being here. You know, some of you will be more comfortable sitting on the couch, you know, watching a classic movie, maybe, or whatever, or just sleeping. Simple as that, or eating, for that matter. And Paul saw, he knew that his life had already been full of sacrifices for God. And I pray that we would know that our life has been a sacrifice for God. Things that we've done. And it's not because we're doing any great spiritual things. It's just that it's supernatural to do certain things. It's supernatural to be there for others when they need you. It's supernatural to be able to pray for a sister and brother uh, when no one else seems to care. It's supernatural to go out and, and, and make yourself known in the community. It's just super, it's not natural, not at all. It's just not something that we just readily do because we prioritize everything and we have to quantify the rewards of staying home or coming out attending service. That's what we do. Uh, departure, in this context, referred to the loosening of the ropes of a tent and setting it free, taking it down. And Paul's re referring to uh, the fact that uh, uh, he was departing. He says, I am poured out of the drink, and the time of my departure is at hand. And in, in, in this context, St. Paul was a tent maker, 
So it can be used in other references, but I like to believe this is a reference that he's referring to. I'm loosening these ropes now. The ropes are being loosened, so this tent is going to be free to fly away, if it will. And I, I believe that's what Paul's referring to. Uh, and this also speaks of completed action with continuing results. That's what I pray that we feel. I've done these things, and the Lord is going to take it from there. I'm not going to stand aside and try and say, okay, I did this, so that should be one crown. I did this, should be another crown. That's not our concern. That's where the judgment comes in. God's the only judge. He's the only one that says, you know, there's, there's fruit to what you did. He's the only one that's going to let you know that, ne- that nephew that you thought you never reached, that he received Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. That niece that was just out there and you were ministering to her, she received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. You won't know that until the real judge makes you aware of that. But those are the things we should focus on. Do what we do supernaturally. Do what we do. What does the Lord call you to? That's what you do. Don't compare yourself to anyone. When he says uh, uniquely, unique and wonderfully made, he means that in a lot of ways. So the gift that I give him, I'm not going to give to you because you would abuse it. You know, when the guy says, boy, I wish I could remember scripture the way this guy does. It's not a good idea because now you would turn it into something boastful. Hey, everybody, gather around. Listen to how many scriptures I can quote. He would not be beyond that. So God gives you those gifts according to you. When I made you, this is what I want from you. I know that if I gave you this gift, if I gave you the gift of tongues, you would be speaking it in the mall with no interpreters. What's the point? If I give you the, the, the gift of healing, you know, uh, you would be taking a, a little something behind your back after you did a healing. So I'm not going to give you that gift. I won't do it. You're going to abuse it. The faith is the truths and standards of the revealed word of God. And that's what faith is. And I pray that we don't have faith in faith. I pray that we take it for what it is. We take it for how the Lord has, what the Lord has shown us, how he's teaching us, how he's breaking us and mending us and and. Whatever he has to do, I pray that that's the faith that we have faith in. I have faith in my church. No, no, no. What is the church? The church is a people. And he's shown us that there's only one who can, who can exhibit agape love. You know, Rich is going to hang out with you for a while, but eventually he's going to, you know, It's going to hit the bricks, and you're going to be by yourself. So don't put any faith in him. Well, this sister, she's pretty pretty locked in. She's anchored to the rock. Yeah, you're right. For now, eventually, you're going to be old news. And then you're going to wonder what happened. Stick to the one who's going to love you unconditionally. That way you can't go wrong. And it's okay to trust someone. But he's told us in Jeremiah, there's a danger in that. Read the book. And the crown represents eternal righteousness. It's not something that, you know, we're going to get cast at our feet, you know, here at Calvary Chapel at Rochester. It's eternal. So we'll see those crowns when we get home. And that's what we're looking forward to. Uh, Verse 9. Be diligent to come to me quickly. And Paul longed to see his co-workers. But, he was in, but it was imperative that Timothy come quickly because Paul knew that his end was near. Timothy, I really need to see you. I need to give you a refresher course because uh, the heat is going to be turned up. And Timothy has seen this back in uh, 2 Timothy 2 or even before, but he saw the suffering that Paul endured as a result of ministering the gospel. And so Timothy was becoming um, timid, and Paul knew that. So he wanted to see Timothy and encourage him to stay the course. Uh, 
Verse 10, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. Questions for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. And Demas had been uh, one of Paul's closest associates, along with Luke and uh, Demas, but he was a fair-weather disciple. And that word fair-weather you can interpret as lukewarm or weak believer. And uh, Demas uh, loved the, uh, the city, um, and he abandoned Paul at, a, at an inappropriate time, inopportune time. For Demas loved the things of the city of the, the Thessalonica because he considered the city a safe haven. You know, I don't, if I do, I don't have to teach the word there, so I'm going to be liked. If I go in, in, in there and I'm teaching the word, then they're going to do some of the things, same things they did to Paul. And this is not the first time this has happened uh, concerning Paul, but it's just that this is one of the things that we have to be concerned about. It says, do not be conformed to the, do not be, uh, conformed to the world, but be transformed there by in your mind. And that's the attitude that we need to have. We need to have that attitude because we're going to find ourselves compromising not only daily, but hour by hour, minute by minute, compromising, depending on the environment that you're in. And sometimes the environment in itself doesn't really matter. We're going to compromise. We're going to go there and, and oh, well, this is my sister, so, I, so we better hold back on the Jesus stuff. You know, it's my, my Uncle John, you know, he, he gets a little upset. So when he's over at our home, we're not going to talk about the Lord can't have that attitude my friends we can't should not teach the gospel preach the gospel and another thing I've got to say that Uncle John Aunt Mary they're going to see your lives before they hear your words be conscious of that I've been preaching to them forever yeah but how are you living you're saying one thing to them and doing another you're preaching to your girlfriend's son and you don't understand why he won't receive the word from you. Not even thinking about the fact that, wait a minute, you're teaching the word to me and you're living with my mom? We Give him credit. Give him credit for being able to see through that. Give him credit for being able to see that, uh, you know, when they come over to your house, you know, you want to discuss, discuss the gospel over martinis. It's okay to drink, but if we go beyond that, and now you're sitting here, you're slurring your words as you're telling them about the Lord Jesus Christ. What's that about? So let's let them see our lives before we think our words have an impact. Preach the word of God, teach the word of God, and use words if necessary. That's the attitude that I, I want to convince us to have. Use words if you have to, but continue to teach. Questions must have been, must have been faithful and dependable since Paul sent him to Galatia, which was a Roman province in Central Asia Minor, where Paul ministered on each of his, 30, oh, 30, each of his three missionary journeys. So there must have been a trust there. Uh, a greater trust than it was with Demas. And Titus was Paul, next to Timothy, Titus was Paul's closest friend and co-worker and was sent to Dalmatia, which was a Roman province on the east coast of the Adriatic Sea, just north of Macedonia. And uh, we're going to stop here. And the reason is Paul referenced a lot of people, a lot of his co-workers in the remainder of this. And this would be the end of... Uh, Second uh, Timothy 4, and just got to be asked the Lord, okay, where to now? So, we'll, Lord willing, we'll finish this the next time I'm here, the next time I get to do this. And, uh, but it's, I'm going to try and touch on every person. You know, he talked about Luke. He talked about Mark. He talked about, uh, you know, um, he talked about a lot of Alexander. He talked about um, lots of folks. Prissa, Aquila, Omniferous, he talked about all of these folks. And so rather than rush through it, 
I would just rather sit down and, and uh, that was another lesson that I learned because I can remember in days of old when I would read Leviticus, it's like, <laughs> really? What was that about? You know, and it's like, I got nothing out of it. And then the Holy Spirit showed me there's a lot. Because once you see these names, and as you continue to read the word, all of a sudden, wait a minute, didn't I see this? Didn't I see this in, in, in this church chapter, this verse? And then now you're digging, and that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to dig, keep digging, dissecting, man, you know, ruminating on that word and just keep bringing it. So, uh, again, uh, Lord willing, and next time we do 11 to 22, and then see what he's got for me after that. But for tonight, uh, I, I just, I'm just so, so honored that he gave me an opportunity to come in and, and minister to my friends. And uh, there's nothing better, nothing better. And when I come up, I always say I'm excited, and I mean it every single time. This is, I love it. I used to hear other guys talk about how they loved it, and you say, oh, hmm. but now I understand. I understand. I love the Word of God. And I just think about even back in younger days when he was exposing me to people who were on fire. I didn't get it. Now I understand. And he took his time in working on my heart. He took his time in working on whatever else he had to work on to do that. But the thing that I know about God that Everything that he does is in his time. And I'm, I'm catching on now, starting to catch on. So I praise him, and I thank you guys. God, uh, <laughs> uh, you've heard the words. They've heard the words. But you read my heart, Father, and you know where my heart is. And I, I must say, if I said even one word that discouraged my sister or my brother, Father, I pray that... You would just remove it from our minds even now. So I thank you for this opportunity that you give, Father, to share your word. I thank you for sisters and brothers who love you as much as I do. And I pray, Father, that we can be more, uh, more good on this earth, Father. And I know this is not our home we're passing through, but I just pray that we be as beneficial to the gospel as we can within reason. So I thank you, Lord, for your mercy. I thank you for your grace, and I thank you for your Holy Spirit. And may you continue to pour out your blessings on us, Father. May we wake up tomorrow morning with new mercy sprinkled on our pillows, and may we just continue to honor you in every word and every deed. May you receive the glory in our lives from this day and forevermore. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.